I love the NFL Combine. Is that a weird thing to say? I feel like that's definitely something that people think is a weird thing to say, especially because the Combine is one of my favorite days on the NFL calendar. And by the way, this is Fancy For Real, and I am CJ For Real, your host, as always. Sometimes I worry about saying that I love the Combine so much because I'm worried people will assume that means I overrate it or make too big of a deal of the individual things that go on there. So to be clear, that's not what's going on here. It's not about all the rankings changes, even though there are some of those. It's not about all the little individual things. I think it's because most of the people I know have a point in their fantasy football calendar, so to speak, where they get a huge download of information, whether it be getting ready for your rookie draft or if you play Devi, maybe you really start your Devi research at one specific time of the year and you really download it and take it on. Because I am such a college football buff. I don't really have that because I'm constantly downloading smaller bits of information about these future prospects. The only potential I have to have that is if I got really into scouting future freshmen, as in you know current high school seniors. And that's just not something that I'm very interested in doing. I'm not the high school tape guy. If you've ever gotten the impression that I'm the high school tape guy, I did not mean to give you that impression. So why I love the Combine is that I don't get these days that I get to download so much information because I'm just you know learning about a new rookie class that I think a lot of people get and a lot of people love. I only get these days, like the NFL draft, like the Combine, where I get this big download of massive amounts of new information. And while each individual piece of information may not be significantly important in and of itself, getting so many of them at the same time is what's so so fun and interesting for me. You know, I, I take the combine and the draft off of whatever work scheduling I have at that time, if I can, because, you know, it's, it's a holiday to me that it's not a holiday to other people. So it's fairly easy to get off work. And And it's obviously a Saturday in this case, but I sat around for most of the day on the combine, just updating spreadsheets and updating, you know, information sheets for, for just like people on random forums and stuff. Cause I just, I just love seeing all the data being written out one point at a time. This might've been a point to make in, in the last show where I previewed the combine, but I think the one thing to make a point about with all these all these little data points we get with the combine right is that there's two things that judges the quality of a variable the first is how likely it is to dictate success at the next level combine variables don't score well there but the other way to judge a variable is how objective the measurement is combine variables are some of the best we get Right. There's so many things where you if you, if you could qu- properly quantify in a perfect sense the processing capability of the top three to four quarterbacks in this draft, that would be a wonderful thing to have. That would be a fantastic thing to have. There is no way you could do that objectively. But arm size, hand size, height, weight, 40 time on two reps, vertical jump, broad jump, these are objective as heck. This is as objective as information gets. And so for someone who who loves to do all these little tweaks of, of rankings and, and try to believe what I think is going to happen before and then see what corroborates, see what doesn't corroborate with the NFL Combine, see what I was wrong about, see what I was right about when it comes to these players, that's 
really fascinating and fun to me. So before I get into any of this, I want to make sure to say thank you for listening to Fantasy For Real. If you have not followed the show on whatever podcasting app you use, I would encourage you to do so. It means a lot to me. It helps other people see the show. And this show is something that I do put a good amount of time and effort in. So let's get into some combine discussion. Now, it's important to note that I'm recording this Sunday morning. Most of this show that you're going to here was recorded Saturday night. I'm going to have a little transition in a second here to the stuff that I have already recorded. I want to say a couple things before I get into that. Specifically, it is worth noting up front that there is at least one rankings adjustment that happens at the end of the show that is not what I say during the Saturday night portion, right? Basically, I'm weighing two different rankings with Troy Franklin, and I end up settling on the one that's closer to where I was, and then I slept on it, and I moved him down a couple more spots. You'll see what I mean when you get to that section, but just know that when it comes to the Troy Franklin spot specifically, what I say in the section is not actually where I end up landing on just this podcast, right? But again, these are inner-tier differences, so it really could go either way. On top of that, there's at least one acronym with RAS that I use a lot as RAS and RAS that I don't uh, that I don't clarify enough is the relative athletic score, which you can find at the at MathBomb Twitter account. I think most people who listen to this podcast probably know what that what that is, but I don't want this podcast to be like incredibly restrictive to people where like you can only listen to it if you understand certain kinds of dialects or vocabulary or you know things in this specific field i want people to be able to listen to this that just that just want to know how to rank rookies in the combine so ras ras relative athletic score and then i also think there's just one more thing that i want to say which is just Getting into what I was just saying about corroboration, I think there's something that's kind of hard to almost discuss with the combine, but the fact of the matter is that so much of how you're moving people in the combine comes down to expectations. So you have to talk about what you believe the guys would do and what you were right or wrong about to be able to build those expectations, right? So I'll get into this with a few players, but Blake Corum is the perfect example. It feels like people are moving Blake Corum up or down their boards based on what they expected him to do. A lot of people had very low expectations, like myself, and are slightly moving him up. A lot of people had very high expectations and because he had a five RAS, they're moving him down. So that's just one example of how these relative things can change how we uh, look at players. But with that said, it's time to get into the longer version of the instant reaction on Saturday. Oh, it's also worth noting that this, you know, this is a late Saturday. I've never recorded a late Saturday show before. So if the audio is a little bit more raw, if I am arguing with people that are just people that I've talked to randomly on social media, just take that as a, as a way to set up these conversations and do understand if you're one of the people that I'm referencing that I've had an argument with, that's not meant to be disrespectful in any way. I just truly believe what I believe. And I'm using that as a framework to get to it in these conversations when I don't have anyone else to talk to in the room. So time to get on with the show. When it comes to the rumor mill at the NFL Combine, it's always important to remember that this show does not have sources or things like that specifically for itself, you know, unique to this show, but I also do spend a lot of time when it comes to evaluating sources, right? Different people from different from different websites and such like that. And so I'm not saying that I'm going to be perfect at this, but I, I do try to sift through what is BS, what is not BS. And so that's just where we'll start with the number one most important rumor mill thing be, 
besides anything that happened with the rookies, which is the quarterback situation in the around the NFL uh, surrounding Kirk Cousins and Justin Fields. And there's been a lot said by different people. There's been some conflicting reports. What I believe to be the most true based on the people who I believe most consistently have the best information is that Kirk Cousins has a bull market right now and Justin Fields has a bear market. Sorry for the pun. But the point here is that would I, you know, let's let's take some practical fantasy relevance out of this. And obviously it's rumors. So there's always, you know, you never want to make too much of a difference about rumors, but I want to make one very specific point right here. I'm not saying you should sell Justin Fields because he's got a lot of rushing upside. He's going to be a starter next year. He might be a starter for two years at the very least. And so if you get that, that's very valuable. However, if there's anybody out there who was on the fence about selling Justin Fields or thinks that they might be selling Justin Fields or thinks that they might be selling Justin Fields later in the season, right? Or later in the off season, rather, like maybe they thought, Hey, once he goes to Atlanta, people are going to be really excited. London, Pitts, and, and his value is going to go up. I'm not sure that's the case right now. Because as much as people are going to be excited about the landing spot and the coaching staff and the weapons, so maybe it all does cancel out, I'm a little worried that the trade package is trending towards being worse than what we think it is in fantasy. Maybe that's just me being a Bears fan and worried about what we might get in that trade package. But in my personal opinion, what's happening right now has a little bit of realistic smoke to it. So when you see those trade packages for quarterbacks, it really helps to define for us how the NFL sees that value. If Justin Fields is a late second round pick, I think that's going to diminish his fantasy value because even though he's going to have the one year at the very least that you have confidence in and he can he can build himself up on that year, you know, it's up to him at that point. So if you believe in him, I wouldn't change my tune. That's not what I'm trying to say. But if you don't believe in him, if you were thinking about getting out, if you were close to getting out and you think you can sell him right now, maybe to somebody who's excited by the Falcons idea, I would try to make that happen if I was close to making that happen before. Because I do think that there's a realistic chance that the overall market is going to drop on Justin Fields when we see what the trade package is. Again, this is very speculative, but I'm not going to just ignore something that I think we can speculate on just because we don't have the best possible information. We never have the best information. We only always have the best possible information at a given time. We're not going to have perfect information. We have what we have. And what we have, in my opinion, says that the NFL market around Justin Fields right now is not as hot as the fantasy community thinks it is. And so that could potentially create an inefficiency. Outside of that, though, there's a few things that I might talk about with with rookies, but I'll handle those at the position specific things when I go through those positions uh, for for that combine position. Right. So the four positions are in order are going to be quarterback, running back, wide receiver and tight end. And in general, I'm going to go through those positions by my last ranking order. Now, quarterback and tight end are going to be a little different. I'll get to that when I get to that. And I guess we'll just get right into quarterback right now because quarterback's obviously going to be pretty quick. There are on-field drills. There are a lot of on-field drills when it comes to the quarterback. I'm not going to talk about those too much. I, I do think that they're important, but really the only thing that 
you're really looking for, especially at quarterback, is just how people are talking about the quarterback. So just starting right in there, I do think that there's more heat building for J.J. McCarthy. Now, again, a lot of smoke. I'm not going to keep saying that for every single time. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cut it off right here. You have to accept that every single thing is based around the idea that we're making projections off of imperfect information, right? But J.J. McCarthy, to me, seems to be a guy who's rising and rising and rising consistently. And there was even a comment uh, in the the athletic show from Diana Rossini where she said that she even talked to one person who said it's not going to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. It's going to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback quarterback with four of them meaning that and maybe not even jj mccarthy at four and then later i believe it was Rappaport on nfl network said that a lot of teams are moving jj mccarthy above one of the top three quarterbacks so i'm not saying that that's going to happen completely but here's what i'll say i will not be completely shocked if jj mccarthy is not the fourth quarterback on the off the board because he goes higher and that does sound surprising because so far we've seen May and Daniels most consistently mocked at two and three or three and two in whatever order. So the idea that JJ McCarthy could actually disrupt that too is significant. Now, do I personally change my tune on his ranking? No, not a whole lot, honestly. I want to see more proof out of a college player to get there. And I don't know where I'm going to be compared to the rest of the fantasy community. So I don't think I'm as high as the NFL. I don't know where I am in regards to the fantasy community. But for JJ McCarthy, I am buying into the idea that I do still think he goes as the fourth quarterback if I had to predict it, but I'm buying into the idea that he's not going to fall out of the top 10 at this point. And so then other than that, the only thing you really talk about with the quarterbacks is going to be specific things for quarterbacks, which is going to be the things that you think might be red flags. So perfect example, everything involved with Bryce Young's measurements last year was perfect example. So there were really Two or three, depending on how you look at it. Jane Daniels did not measure. That's why it's two or three. So there's two if you're counting people who actually got measured. There would have been three things I would have been looking for, with the third being Jaden Daniels' weight. We don't, we're not going to know what Jaden Daniels' weight is, potentially, officially, and that that is a negative. But the two things would have been Caleb Williams' height and J.J. McCarthy's weight. And both of those clearly checked boxes. We have no issues with either one of those, right? Caleb Williams was over six foot one. No problems there. Is he slightly undersized? Is he undersized? Yes, because undersized doesn't mean small. It means, you know, below average. He is below average NFL quarterback height, but he is not small. And J.J. McCarthy, a lot of people, I, I heard people saying that they didn't think he'd be 200, which I thought was kind of silly after Bryce Young did it last year, because, you know, combine weight it's not like it's some perfect thing where they take out all the water you've drank this morning but 219 is significant i mean you're not gonna have like 20 pounds of bs weight and then go out on the field and compete that same day and while he did not run he did throw so the 219 the fact that so far over 200 probably is actually significant it's not just fake weight but regardless the number one thing we were looking for really wasn't how big is jj mccarthy it was is J.J. McCarthy too skinny? And the answer to that is clearly and emphatically no. So we really have nothing. I don't think I have anything else to talk about at the quarterback position. Since I'm going to recap rankings on all these other positions, I'll just say Caleb at one, space, May and Daniels, two and three, space, J.J. McCarthy, biggest space of all, and then all the other quarterbacks with Knicks, Pennix, and Spencer Rattler being the top three of the rest for me. So that's really all I have for the 
quarterback position. So let's get into something a little bit more controversial before we get into something really controversial with the wide receivers. But running back rankings, I'm going to go in pre-combine order. So I'm not going to go in my new updated order. I'm going to go in what I did the last time I ranked running backs. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know if it's going to get confusing with the order, but I think the biggest thing I'm happy about in the general sense of this running back class in regards to this show and my own rankings and my beliefs on this class is that my top three stayed the same. My top four even stayed the same. And that made me feel really good, even though the fact that my fifth and sixth running backs took a big hit and my six through nine rankings feel like an absolute crapshoot at this point, which not that they weren't before, but it, I actually feel worse somehow about my rankings between six and nine, but I feel really good about my top four to five. And that's really what you want more and more through these processes and with the combine, you're never going to feel really, really good about your six through 10. But if you can feel really, really good and consistently start feeling better about your one through five, that's a really good thing. So I'll start with my top three running backs. They were my top three before this event. But I, you know, in my last show, I was saying that Jalen Wright was catching up to Benson and Brooks. Now it is a clear top three of Benson, Brooks, and Wright. I still have Trey Benson written in a little bit at 1A. He measured in at 216 pounds and ran a 4.39. Did good on the jumps, killed the broad jump. Very, just really nice day at the office. Not a whole lot to say there overall. Uh, I felt really good about between Wright and Benson. I felt really good about one of the last things I said on the top three was that I felt that Wright had the best burst in the class and that Trey Benson had the best size adjusted burst. And if we take out Isaac Garendo, they both pretty much lived up to that expectation. So I felt really, really good both about just how those guys tested and how you know, you want the combine to corroborate more things than it disproves for you because you want you want the combine to make you feel more confident about players because you want the combine to make you feel like you're seeing things clearly. I walked away from Trey Benson's combine and Jalen Wright's combine when I get to it in a second, feeling like I saw them very clearly. And obviously there's really nothing to talk about with Jonathan Brooks, still recovering from an ACL injury, did weigh in at 216 pounds if you want the official number. Now, I never know what to make about weight when guys are in recovery, because I'm assuming there's probably a few variables there. But the fact of the matter is that you know that there's not going to be any problem with Brooks's weight. Not that we expected there to be, but you know, 216 pounds, very solid, stay status quo as the running back two or one B. And then the guy who is probably, I think, going to be a consensus top three running back on almost every list after this combine, which is Jalen Wright, the running back out of Tennessee. Jalen Wright has been my running back three throughout this entire process since the very first time that I ranked my running backs. Now, the first time I ranked my running backs, I only ranked two. I ranked Benson and Brooks and then had everybody else in a watch list. But the first time I actually ranked those running backs, I had Jalen Wright at third, and I'm just feeling really, really good about that right now. He had an excellent combine. He did weigh in at 210 pounds and then later in the day ran a 4.38. He was excellent in the jumps, just a great overall combine. 
combined for a guy who has excellent, excellent efficiency stats in the SEC. That's very, very high level stuff from Jalen Wright. He is my running back three, but he's also kind of my running back one C now. So those three guys, it's going to be really hard for me to not take the one that's drafted the highest. Unless the the situ- unless two are drafted closely and one's got a clearly better situation, it's going to be really hard for me to not just take these three players in draft order. There's also one more thing I want to touch on with Trey Benson, but I'm actually going to do it a little later because it fits in with another player as well. So my running back four going into the combine and my running back four leaving the combine is Grandpa Ray Davis. Four, five, two, official 40, 210 to 220 pounds. I'm not exactly sure where it was. It was in the two teens, but I wrote it as a range because he also weighed in at 220 in the senior bowl. So I'm just trying to, you know, he's consistently weighing in at 215, 220 pounds over the two measurements, around five, eight and a half. And then he had solid jumps aside from his four, five, two, a lot of uh, good press about the way he ran the pass catching drills which really again corroborates this 61 receptions that he had the last two years of his career so you know the the elephant in the room the the thing that is going to be this shadow over Ray Davis's especially his profile you know I don't want to say it's going to be a shadow over his career but it's definitely a shadow over his analytical profile the fact that he's going to turn 25 years old in November that's extremely extremely old for a rookie and that alone would probably disqualify him from being a top five running back in most classes but he's very firmly a top five running back in this class I won't get to who my top five running back my fifth running back is for a bit because he's moved up a little bit in my ranks and that player could move into it's Marshawn Lloyd that player could move into RB4 but right now Davis is either four or five he's no lower than four or five so now we get into the major fallers. We have the major fallers right here with Bucky Irving at five and Audric Estime at six. Obviously don't feel great about where I had those guys ranked. I will say though, I do feel good about my whole conversation about the reason I don't like Bucky Irving as much as I liked Keaton Mitchell and Devon Achan being that those guys were way faster on tape in my eye. And so I, I really didn't expect him to run a four, five, two. I thought he was going to run a four, four, five. That's honestly what I expected. I, I thought these guys are four, three, he's four, four, five. I did not expect it to be four, five. So definitely a, a big substantial kind of question mark there because I think the the natural not that every small player is going to be between two players but given that we had three very small running backs come out last year I think the natural question you got with Bucky Irving is is this guy Devon Achan or is this guy Deuce Vaughn and now it's really starting to line up with the Deuce Vaughn thing Deuce Vaughn had the high volume pass catching role as well he was superb in college he had great contact balance for a shorter running back and I'm not saying that the career for Deuce Vaughn is over, but it did not get off to a good start. And I I still, there's going to be a lot of people who are completely burying Bucky Irving. And I guess depending on how you define burying, I'm kind of doing that too. But he's still a top 10 running back for me. He's still a top nine running back for me. He's probably eight or nine. Both these guys. These guys are going from five to six to about eight to nine for me. And that's basically because this is still a pass-catching driven game. And Bucky Irving is still a guy who you can pencil in as potentially, at least, the best pass-catcher in this class. Now, 
that sometimes gets a player overrated, and I don't know if that's going to happen anymore with the terrible combine. The The RAS score for Bucky Irving was in the 2.2 out of 10 range. So just awful, awful combine there. But I do think the pass catching still keeps him in my top 10. I am I'm worried that he is more Deuce Vaughn than Devon Achan. That was my worry. That was my worry when I had him ranked RB5. But I still like... Uh, Bucky Irving still have him in my top 10 running backs, but definitely not what you want to see when a player's in the low twos on the RAS score. Audric estimate. I do have a little bit of a different take on, I think than some people. And I will say right off the bat, because you don't want any measurement to be bad, even the ones that you're not spending the most time on. But when I say going into the combine, I actually kind of prefer the jumps a little bit for, for, for running backs than the 40. Because a jump is how explosive you are from a stationary position, right? There's so many variables in the 40 and how you're running the 40 and your technique for the 40 uh, in how, in how you know, clear down the line you are. You know, I mean, if you're going side to side down the line, you're going to have a worse time, right? The jumps are jumps and you're coming, not to say there's not technique in it, but you're coming from this stationary position and exploding out of it. And a lot of people have trouble with that. Aldrich estimate for a big guy had insanely good jumps. And so it's really hard for me as bad as the four, seven, one is. And it really bothers me too, because I think he gets out of the box. I try not to get too technical and breaking down people's forties because that's not my skill set. But he, I, to me, he gets out of the box really well. It's just, he hits a top speed very quickly and not because he's hitting a high top speed because he just doesn't have another gear. And that's a concern for me, but that is also something that's like, it's so hard to quantify because how many plays is he even going to access that speed, right? How many plays is he even getting 20 yards down the field? Like 10 in a year? Like, and maybe it's, maybe I'm underestimating it in that way. But I guess my point is that the things that Audric estimate, I expected him to be good at. I still think he can be good at all those things. I'm just worried that he's never going to ever have a breakaway carry because he's just not fast enough to have a breakaway carry. But most of what you need from running back is more so, not, not to say more so, but you need to balance success rate and explosive plays. Audric estimate might limit your ability for explosive plays, but I still kind of see the outline in his profile for a guy who could have a relatively high success rate at the NFL level, despite the 471. So Audric estimate, Bucky Irving, both players knocked down my list quite significantly because I don't want to, like, they're top 10 running backs. Top 10 is not good for a running back class. You're never looking for the 10th best running back in a draft class. And this is a particularly bad draft class, in my opinion, for the running backs, especially for the higher end profiles. So to be eight running back eight, to be running back nine in this class, it's not a, it's not a good thing at all. It's actually significantly negative, but I, I'm not dropping them out of the top 10. I'm not putting, you know, Garendo over them. I'm not putting some of these combine darlings over them. And we'll get to some of these players later. I'm just kind of moving around players who were already in that top nine and moving them at the bottom of that top nine. So Blake Corum, I have up next. He was my running back seven, and he has actually moved up to my running back six because 
Blake Corum's kind of a weird one to me because based on what your expectations were for Blake Corum, I have found people's reactions to Blake Corum to be radically different, right? I, you know, sometimes you get notifications on your phone and you just read the message and you have no idea what they're replying to, right? I had someone write me a message during the combine that was like, well, I'm not going to defend that running back anymore or not going to defend that stance on that running back anymore. And I was really curious who it was. I was like, man, maybe they like really liked what they saw from Ray Davis or Jalen Wright or something else that I was really strong. And it was like, no, they they were very upset about Blake Corum's combine. And I was like, Blake Corum exceeded my expectations. And I was about to say, maybe my expectations were too low, but my expectations were fundamentally, factually too low because he, he surpassed them. But I, I'm confused what people were looking for because when I broke down Blake Corum, the one player I singled out was Devin Singletary. Blake Corum did better than Devin Singletary in every single facet. He was slightly taller, and he ran about a tenth of a second faster. So Blake Corum actually did a lot of the things that I was looking for. I was wondering if he was going to be a red flag or hit some minimal boxes. He hit all my minimal boxes. So Blake Corum might even be on the fringe of being a top five running back. I think he is my clear running back six right now. I did say earlier that my six through nine is kind of messy, but I actually think it's more my seven through nine is kind of messy because I don't know how to feel about Braylon Allen and he didn't really do anything. But Blake Corum, I feel better about. I think a lot of people feel worse about it because I think a lot of people thought he was going to be like five eight two fifteen, run like a four four five maybe. I, I really don't know, but he was... As tall as I expected, maybe slightly taller, and he ran faster than I expected, or at least right on it. So so he hit all the minimal thresholds that I needed him to hit to feel comfortable that Blake Corum could be a solid player and, and didn't have big red flags, which was my real worry about the size and the profile. So Blake Corum is actually moving up for me. I think I think there's a lot of mixed reaction to Blake Corum's combine, because I think a lot of people just see the, the raw RAS, and it's in like the fives, and they're like, oh, so he's not a... He's not a very good athlete, but I just don't know, like, were people expecting Blake Corum to be like an eight RAS guy? Like he's, he is a five RAS guy, but I was thinking he was, he could be a two out of 10 instead of a five out of 10 and he's a five out of 10. So I'll take that all day for a guy who has played pretty well at the collegiate level in Blake Corum. And frankly, if Blake Corum was coming off of his 2022 season and not his 2023 season, he would be a top five running back for me. Most likely it's just the 2023 season was far more disappointing. He had far fewer explosive plays. And so maybe that is just the injury that he suffered at the end of the 2022 season. Maybe he's going to be better now that he's healthier. The bottom line for me, Blake Corum, on his way up, not necessarily super high up, but feeling really good. And this is the point where I stopped feeling really good is the running back six spot. Now, to be clear, Braylon Allen didn't really do anything, uh, but I've just never been the biggest fan of Braylon Allen. I had Braylon Allen as my running back eight when I last did my running back rankings. I have now moved him up to running back seven. He measured in at six foot one, 235 pounds. So there's nothing really much to say about Braylon Allen. All the movement with Braylon Allen is movement around Braylon Allen. It really doesn't have anything to do with Braylon Allen itself. But as I mentioned earlier, my running back nine is my, maybe my biggest combine riser overall. I think he is my biggest combine riser overall. And that is Marshawn Lloyd, the running back from USC. Lloyd had a really intriguing college profile because he was extremely efficient and he was even extremely efficient in things like when he got passes, he just didn't get them consistently enough. And also with how many games that USC was losing, he often was faded out of the game plan. 
Marshawn Lloyd was a really highly regarded prospect coming out of high school, and he got off to a bit of a rough start after he had a very bad knee injury. And this is kind of what I was actually going to, I'll just loop it back in now with Trey Benson, because these two guys are both in my top five now with Benson and Lloyd. But I don't want to forget about the fact that Benson and Lloyd still have a question mark because both of these guys had devastating knee injuries early on in their careers. Not ACL tears like Jonathan Brooks had. I'm talking about Trey Benson. The the article that I read said, like, the quote from Trey Benson was like, oh yeah, I tore everything, okay? So, like, these guys destroyed their knees. Now, they've been doing really well. One of them ran a 4-3-9, and Marshawn Lloyd ran a 4-4-6 official. So, they're really doing good. They were really efficient running backs over the course of the last couple of years for their teams. And so there's nothing really I can say about the medicals themselves. Obviously it's just something that we're going to have to look into, you know? I mean, if you're basically, I guess what I'm saying is if you're sitting there watching the draft on say day two, and you're seeing running backs go over bench and over Lloyd that you don't think should go over them, it might be the medical red flag. I don't know if there's going to be a medical red flag, but I'm not going to ignore the fact that there might be for two guys who we do have objective information that at one point in their career, they had a a bad medical situation. But the big thing with Marshawn Lloyd, aside from all the testing, is just some reevaluation stuff. I really think that he checks a lot of basic boxes. And this is a little bit narrative-based, but there seems to be a lot of people who are trying to sell the idea that he is a very good pass catcher. And you saw this come up uh, talking from the Senior Bowl drills. It seems to have come up again with the NFL Combine drills. There were some highlights being shown during the NFL Combine, talking, you know, Daniel Jeremiah talking about how good Marshawn Lloyd is as a potential downfield pass catcher. Now, I will say that I saw that and he showed a highlight of Marshawn Lloyd making a great catch downfield. And then I looked it up and he had three downfield targets in the last two years. So it's not like there's a lot to make of the receiving profile, but he checks a lot of boxes. He's easily going to be moving over those murky guys. That's kind of the, it's kind of easy to move over those murky guys with the way it went, but I was individually impressed with Marshawn Lloyd as well. So he's kind of setting into that, that second three, and he, he might have the most upside of the second three between him, Ray Davis and Blake Corum. But right now, Marshawn Lloyd is my running back five, one spot above Blake Corum, one spot below Ray Davis and my biggest combine riser. And then Dylan Lauby is who I had as my running back 10. I don't really have a running back 10 at this point. I mean, running back 10s don't usually matter in, in who you have a ranking, and I wouldn't care about the fact that I don't have a running back 10 other than that I'm you know, doing this show and, and things like that. But I do think Dylan Lauby would be an excellent candidate still for my running back 10 because of the pass catching ability. And the number one thing you're worried about with someone at the FCS level is that something about their game isn't going to translate. Dylan Lauby, 206 pounds. 454, not elite, but exactly what you want to see for a guy that you're potentially worried about his translation. A couple other notables, I really like the size-speed combinations, even though the, the speed wasn't necessarily elite with all of them, but I like the total package in Isaiah Davis, Jace McClellan, and Kendall Milton, some bigger guys with just a little bit of pop. I also liked Kamani Vidal. He put up some really good numbers at Troy, put up some really good numbers at this combine. I said, I've said, i said I think two times on this show that I might look a little bit deeper into Kamani 
Dave at all. And at this point, I think I have to, especially after he had such a good combine. Uh, and then Will Shipley. Will Shipley's a guy, a guy that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit, I think. He just, I don't think he has calling card things that he can really point to as things he does really, really well. But he does enough things well that I think he should definitely be a candidate for the running back 10. Now, we didn't get uh, much testing out of Will Shipley, so I don't know uh, anything. There's nothing about the combine to be made about Will Shipley, but Will Shipley is one of my running back 10 candidates. So let's talk about someone who's not one of my running back 10 candidates, and that's the talk of the town, Isaac Garendo. Isaac Garendo is definitely not somebody who I'm very interested in. And I get it. I get that everybody loves the speed, the speed score, but this guy didn't even do the agility drills. That's what really drives me crazy about the way that people talk about him. Like this combine is not more impressive than the one for the Minnesota Vikings running back from a couple years ago. I can't pronounce his name. Kene Nguangu. I can't pronounce his name. Kene. That that combine was way more impressive than this one, all right? Yes, he was 20 pounds lighter, but he ran a sub-seven-second three-cone. He actually did the agility drills and did them really well. Isaac Carendo did not do the agility drills, so he only proved that he can go in one direction fast, which is a very limiting thing. And then here's what I'll say. I'm someone who believes that traits are the most important at the running back position, but that production is still important. And I will also say that my biggest miss probably from just a raw evaluation perspective in the last few years is Isaiah Pacheco, because even though Isaiah Pacheco was not very highly ranked by basically anybody, he was someone who I was closer to the dismissed outright category. And I don't like to be in that category with anyone who turns out to be pretty good because generally speaking, the players I dismiss outright i want to be the guys who are out of the league within a year and that's that is generally i find to be the guys who i put that distinction on isaiah pacheco really proved me wrong but i want to point out one extremely key difference between isaiah pacheco and garendo isaiah pacheco had terrible production but he also played at ruckers and i knew that even at the time and i knew that even at the time that even though he had 650 rushing yards the next best running back on his team had 250 and those kind of proportional things are important the proportions that your team leans on you especially if you're not at a premium school is very important in projecting running backs that is an important and viable and predictive stat is how much of a of, of a share of your marketplace do you have at the running back position. Pacheco did score well there. It was just a very, very small marketplace because the Rutgers team rushing was so bad. Garendo is the second best Louisville running back at the combine. Let's like Jawar Jordan, who I have not talked about on this show is a better running back. Let's just point point blank end of discussion they played on the same team he got more carries more yards more yards per carry more touchdowns okay now i will be one of the first people to tell you that just because you're a better college player does not mean you're a better professional but isaac Garendo spent four years at wisconsin riding the pine and then he went to louisville who louisville did not have a top 50 recruiting class this year okay louisville is probably the borderline is probably a borderline three-star out of five program they're closer to being under the three-star out of five program no offense but you like you came off of a 10-win season and didn't have a top 50 recruiting class that's not a top-end program and he couldn't beat out jawar jordan and he played behind jawar jordan and he gained less yards than jawar jordan and so i'm not saying that he's 
a terrible player, but it's just so wild to me to, to see a guy who didn't even do a three cone. If he did a three cone, if he had a seven second three cone or a sub seven second three cone, then I would be all, I, I would be a little bit different, right? He would be like the greatest athlete at the running back position ever, maybe. I don't think he's a very good running back athlete, really. I think he's a really good one-directional downfield athlete. And I think you see that on the tape that I've reviewed since the Combine. And I just do not, or during the Combine, and I just do not see the Garendo thing. So I've seen people talk about with how bad the running back class is, that he's going to be a top five running back. I don't know if that's because this, I am recording this Saturday night. So I don't know if this is all instant reaction stuff. And if people are going to have some like doses of reality in the morning and really get him back to where he should be in these rankings. And again, I could be wrong about all this stuff. He could be the best running back of this class, but he's not going to be in my top 10. There's no way that a running back who had less yards on the same team as Jawar Jordan as a fifth-year player is going to be in my top 10. Ray Davis is a very old running back. What have I said every time I talk about the statistical profile of Ray Davis? The dude dominated his team's rushing. At Vanderbilt, he dominated his team's rushing. No one else rushed for anything at Vanderbilt. At Kentucky, he dominated the team's rushing. That's what Ray Davis did at both of his major stops. Grendo had two major stops, and one of them he was not the backup, and at the other one he was the backup. But the other running back also went to the combine, and he was better than him in every statistical category. So a lot of respect for what Grendo did at the combine. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But at the end of the day, he is not a top 10 running back for me. He's not one of the five running backs who's in consideration for top 10. I know some people are going to say that's, I, I think some people are just going to lock into the speed score and say, that's crazy. I think it's crazy to change your opinion that much on just speed score. Speed score is not that important at the running back position. It's important in combination with other things, but in isolation on just the raw number alone, it's not that important. So just to recap my running back rankings, my top three, my 1A through 1C, however you want to put it, Trey Benson, Jonathan Brooks, Jalen Wright, my 4 through 6, Ray Davis, Marshawn Lloyd, and Blake Corum, my 7 through 9, Braylon Allen, Bucky Irvin, and Audric Estime, and then I have a lot of candidates for my running back 10. I might still put Dylan Lyleby there just because of the pass catching because that's one of the things you're really looking for when you're targeting guys that are a little bit later but he didn't quite he didn't quite have the combine to like solidify himself into that top 10 spot but that's where I am with my running back rankings in my immediate reaction post combine Hey y'all, just 30 seconds before I get back into the show, if you are a fan of the Fantasy for Real podcast and can either follow the podcast if you haven't done so or leave a rating or a review if you haven't done so, either of those things would mean a lot to me. Uh, thank you very much and I will get back into the show with the wide receivers. So for wide receiver, I'm going to do the exact same thing. I'm going to go in the order that I did my pre-combine final rankings in. So if you're wondering if someone's moving up or down, it might not get there right away, but we'll get there when we get there through all these things. The most important things for me in these rankings is when my tiers solidify. And there's a lot of movement and there's a couple things I'm not comfortable with with a few of these wide receivers. But I will say my top three is still my top three. My top seven is still my top seven. Now to be clear, there's some movement within the top seven, but the top seven is still the top seven. And the top 
nine is still the top nine. So those things have stayed the same for me, and that feels pretty good. So I'm just going to breeze past Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors. Neither one of them participated in the combine. We can talk a little bit about Marvin Harrison's measurements, but really the only me- what we're, what you're going to find in this show with the combine at the wide receiver position is that all the measurements we're going to talk about are the bad ones because the bad ones are the ones that are important. The, the good ones are important. They make us feel good. They make us feel a little better. They can corroborate things we see, but the bad ones are the ones we care about. So Marvin Harrison Jr., like, did I expect him to have 32-inch arms? Sure. It was 31 and 7 eighths. I mean, over 32. It was 31 and 7 eighths inch smaller than I was expecting? Sure. But 31 and 7 eighths are long arms. Six foot three, over six foot three is a big guy. So there's really nothing to say other than he is a big wide receiver. He's not a small guy that we would actually have to check these things for. So Marv and neighbors remain my top two wide receivers, despite the fact that they did not do anything. Roma Dunze was a little bit disappointing in the 40, just because as this background as a sprinter, there were reported times that he would run in the mid four threes. He ended up running four, four, five. So that's obviously quite a bit different, but I mean, at the same time, if you didn't have that expectation, you would say he did a great job at four, four, five at his size is fantastic. A consummate box checker. He's just checking all of these boxes you want to see from a prospect. So Roma Dunze, very good day at the office solidifies. Not, I don't think he, I don't think there's anything he could have possibly done other than like say even worse things than not believing in space and planets that could have possibly dropped him out of my top three wide receivers, unless he had like something bad happen. But Roma Dunze did solidify himself as a top three wide receiver. So now we're starting to get into some of the problem areas because Troy Franklin is the player that I'm the most worried about, honestly, after the combine. And I feel really bad saying that as an analyst because the very last time I talked about Troy Franklin, I said that I was rising on him and potentially separating him from the rest of the tier. And I really don't want to go back and forth on these things. And I said that about Troy Franklin, but I said that about the draft capital. I really didn't think that I would have such a bad reaction to his combine. But Troy Franklin's probably the highest graded player I have had in recent memory where I came away from the combine saying that was troublesome. And it's not even the measurements, right? The the BMI actually didn't bother me at all. The 441, maybe a little bit, but I don't really... Like, I really don't like to get into the hundredth of a second thing. And if he would have ran like a 437, I don't think we would have cared that much. And obviously that's close to half a tenth. But is it a little bit disappointing? Yes, but it's not that big of a deal for me. The eight and three quarters inch hands, just to start, that does scare me a little bit uh, because we have seen inconsistent hands from Troy Franklin. There have been comments that he likes to let the ball into his body. And then you also saw some drops crop up this year and some very inconsistent things uh, with his hands downfield. Anything under nine inches in the hands is a concern for me. So he doesn't have the smallest hands ever. He doesn't have the smallest hands at the combine, but eight and three quarters when combined with the inconsistent hands that showed up consistently in the 2023 season, that does scare me a little bit with Troy Franklin. But the thing that scares me me the most with Troy Franklin was the field work. And I 
like to watch the field work, but I also like to take consensus from the field work, especially because you don't always get the best camera angles. They have to take commercial breaks and they don't always take commercial break or they rarely take commercial breaks on the field. So you just miss things. But Troy Franklin's gauntlet was used as the example of how not to run the gauntlet. You should never be the example of how to not do something. And my big problem with it is that at the end of the four-part podcast where I broke down Troy Franklin, Keon Coleman, Brian Thomas Jr., and A.D. Mitchell, the thing I said at the end of it was that there was probably a longer conversation that should be had with Troy Franklin and route running in terms of what the difference between route running and separation is because his speed and his change of direction was very, very, very good. But his route running in terms of precision often came off to me a little bit rounded and a little bit imprecise. And so then when you, you look at him run the gauntlet and you're supposed to run down a line and he is taking the most figure eight path or whatever you want to call it through this, through this line and it's, it's like his, it's a weird thing to say. I don't know if I'm making too much of the size with the weight, but it's, it's like, it feels like he's like swaying in the breeze, man. It just feels like he's getting pushed back and forth by just like small bits of movement. I don't know what that is, but like he needs to be able to know exactly where he is and exactly where he's going. And if he's that imprecise on something like the combine, Maybe he just hasn't been asked to run the same kind of concepts that you usually get at the combine, but it really did. The the field drills with Franklin bothered me. And I think the field drills often can become the most important thing, especially with things that you're doing well or not doing well. And so I came into the combine with the idea that Troy Franklin was becoming more clear as my wide receiver four. Right now I've only moved him down to wide receiver five. He is a, pinch away from wide receiver seven to me with how everyone else in this tier performed at the combine. And it's not the testing. It is the things like the gauntlet. It's the gauntlet and the hands, the gauntlet, and the hands are the two things that bother me. The BMI and the 40 don't bother me nearly as much as the gauntlet and the hands, the gauntlet and the hands bother the crap out of me. And so Troy Franklin is a player who I still like because the analytics are so good. And at least in my opinion, and what what analytics have told us or what studying this position has told us is that analytics and production are extremely important. We've also seen Troy Franklin get better year after year. So maybe he's not where he needs to be right now, but he could get there and maybe he can get there fairly quickly because that's why you like to see the early breakout and the early declare because they're getting to where they need to get fairly quickly. But right now I have growing concerns and questions about certain areas of Troy Franklin's game, because again, you want the combine to corroborate things. And unfortunately the things that corroborated with Franklin was that some of those negatives are pretty real and maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to them. So Troy Franklin, still my wide receiver five, if I had to bet on it right now in an instant reaction sense he has not been lower i don't believe than my wide receiver five for since the since the draft class was made official but i do think he is a pinch away from dropping down to wide receiver seven so keon coleman's the next guy up he was the wide receiver five for me before the combine and this is going to be a surprise to a lot of people he is the wide receiver four for me after the combine And a lot of people are going to say Brian Thomas Jr. and A.D. Mitchell, who I still have at six and seven. And that's maybe that's just a combine reaction. Like I said, I'm very close to moving them both over Troy Franklin. And I'm I'm very close to moving them over 
Keon Coleman, the whole thing I've said the whole time with this four through seven tier is that I, I feel better every day about the idea that for the longer that this is a tier, I feel good about that. But within the tier, it's been kind of a mess. So if you want to tell me that A.D. Mitchell and Brian Thomas Jr. should be the top two guys over Keon Coleman, I totally get what you're saying. And I get that he ran a 4.6 where the other guys ran a 4.3. But the 40 isn't really the most important thing to these guys. And Keon Coleman did test as an incredible athlete. He is over six foot three, over 210 pounds, which is the biggest weight of these three wide receivers. He had over 32 inch arms, uh, incredible jumps. And the 4.61 doesn't really bother me, right? The two players who I have most compared Keon Coleman to are Des Bryant and Allen Robinson in terms of high upside. You know, I've also, I have talked about the Nikhil Harry thing and I've talked about Devonte Parker. I think Devonte Parker is a really good mid mid tier comp, especially because mid tier comps are probably should be a little bit worse than people think they are because the mid tier outcomes for players are probably a little bit worse than people think they are. But point being, the high upside comps, Des Bryant ran a 4.52, which is significantly better, but he also did it at a pro day, so it's probably less significantly better than that. And Allen Robinson did run a 4.6. So these two players that I have most often compared Keon Coleman to, he still does really align with both of these players still. So he's still right in the same physical idea that I had him in. And I think there's also, there's always going to be things about expectations and not expectations. And if you go back to the Keon Coleman, Brian Thomas Jr. episode, or in that section, I mentioned, I thought Brian Thomas Jr. was going to run legit fast. And I wasn't that sure that Keon Coleman was going to run fast, fast. And so I guess I'm just not reacting as much to people. He is who I thought he was. I think I was expecting closer to probably like a four, five, five to four, five, eight. And so four, six, one is obviously worse than that, but it does really firmly align him still within this idea that he could be an Allen Robinson type at the next level. And then my wide receiver six before the combine, still my wide receiver six now, but in a, in a vacuum sense, he definitely is trending upwards. I definitely feel better about him after the combine is Brian Thomas Jr. Now, one thing I will say, probably the dumbest thing that I, or the thing that's aged the worst that I've said on this show in regards to the combine was when I said that I thought Brian Thomas Jr. was definitely the one that was going to actually be six, four. And he ended up being six, two and seven eighths. So definitely a foul up on my part on that one, but six, two, seven eighths, 209 pounds, 32 and three quarters inch arms. Those are very long arms. So a lot of times I find when I miss, I'm off on the height. It's because people are longer than they are tall, which again, kind of corroborates, at least in my opinion, kind of corroborates the idea that arm length is important to an extent. But the big thing is, you know, we're going to talk about a couple fast forties. We're going to talk about a record breaking 40 in a little bit. Brian Thomas Jr. had the most impressive 40. Uh, Brian Thomas Jr. slash A.D. Mitchell. Those two had the two most impressive 40s to me because I would rather uh, have a 4-3 with a guy who has a lot more tools than a 4-2-1 with a guy who I have a lot more questions with, right? So Brian Thomas Jr. and A.D. Mitchell, who's my wide receiver seven and still my wide receiver seven and A.D. Mitchell, same situation as Brian Thomas Jr. Trending up, haven't really moved the ranking yet. And the hard part is because I didn't have such a problem at all with Coleman, the only person I'm moving them over other than each other is Franklin. And I've been very high on Franklin. So, you know, you're you're hearing right now in this instant reaction, all the conflicts I am having between this four and seven spot. But the point is A.D. Mitchell, Brian Thomas Jr., 
both absolutely killed the combine. The only thing you can say is that both of them were closer to being 6'2 than 6'4. Brian Thomas Jr. was 6'3, not 6'2, but still, they were they were closer to that lower size. So A.D. Mitchell, 4-3-4, elite RAS score overall. And I think the real thing that I've always tried to say with A.D. Mitchell and the conflict I have, because I, I get that the production isn't good, but A.D. Mitchell's a guy who people always have thought was good at playing football, not in a projectable way. There's There's been guys that people like on their teams and they consider they have a chance to be good in the future in a projectable way and they value that in a projectable way. A.D. Mitchell, there's a projection to it, but he's also been consistently considered a guy who's very, very valuable to a team right now and you can see that in the way that he has big plays and those red zone plays and those consistent touchdowns. Even if he hasn't gotten consistent work, he's gotten consistent touchdowns throughout his career. So it's very intriguing to put it all together because the production with what we look for and all the thresholds we look for, he's not close to them. He's not close to any of the thresholds we look for, but he's a good college wide receiver. He was a good college wide receiver who has an elite athlete. And so putting those, just saying that sentence, a good college receiver who was in a, who is an elite athlete. It's really hard to look at that and not want to move him up the list. So AD Mitchell, Brian Thomas Jr. Have they technically moved up the list? No, they have not technically moved up the list, but if I had a keep trade cut number next to them, like that four digit number that was next to their scores, their four digit number is going up. So now my, my wide receiver rankings were controversial before the combine. And I thought they would probably be less controversial after. And now I'm thinking they might be more controversial after because we'll start that Roman Wilson is my wide receiver eight or was my wide receiver eight. And he is still my wide receiver eight. Now I don't have much to talk about with Roman Wilson because he didn't jump and all of his measurables we already had from the senior bowl. And I actually kind of discussed those even a little bit when I covered the senior bowl. So the only thing we really got was the four, three, nine, and that was right at about expectation. So I would also say that I, I, I enjoy that one as an analyst. I enjoy seeing someone who I didn't get a lot of changed information to, and he stayed right where I had him before. So Roman Wilson from wide receiver eight, two wide receiver eight. The only thing that's controversial there is that people are going to say some people should have moved over them that we'll get to in a bit, but in the same fashion, uh, Jalen Polk did do more of the testing, but Jalen Polk was my wide receiver nine coming into the combine. He is my wide receiver nine leaving the combine. Very good size. Six, one, three, eight inch, 203 pounds, 31, three quarters inch arms. All those numbers. Very good. Great at the jumps. Very good with the speed for his size in the low four fives. Jalen Polk is just another one of those players who I hate to just throw this phrase out, but there's certain players like like Xavier Worthy, who we're about to talk about in a bit, where his his profile is just this combination of green in terms of things that are beyond checking boxes and red, things that scare the crap out of me. Jalen Polk is just check, 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 all the way down. The only thing he really hasn't checked were the early production and the peak season in terms of the thresholds I look for, specifically because his peak season is a lot worse when you consider the fact that he had a 5,000 yard quarterback or whatever Michael Penix put up his final year. It makes the proportions far worse. And a lot of times that can become a skew, but I usually only like to think about it as, as a skew when the player has like say 14, 1500 yards. Cause then I say like, okay, well how many more yards could we really have expected him to get than 14, 1500, 1100 yards in a 15 game season is not that much in the pack. 
But Jalen Polk was my wide receiver nine, is my wide receiver nine, just keeps checking those boxes. Uh, so Malachi Corley, like the weirdest did not participate I have ever seen at the combine, I think. And I'm not going to try to go on such a long thing about this. And I, I get it to an extent because he's such a good athlete. Maybe he didn't think that he needed to show Malachi Corley that he's a good athlete. But I would say the opposite. If your tape, if all your tape is in Conference USA, which is a terrible conference, it's the worst conference in the FBS. I kind of undersold it when I, I was like, oh, maybe it's the worst. It's the worst conference in the FBS. It, it is the worst conference. And that's all your tape. Like most of the guys who are resting on something else, it's like, they say something like, you know, well, watch my tape. Malachi Corley can't say, watch my tape. Your tape's taking five yard with low, low A dot passes and running around conference USA players. That's your tape. So I don't know. I am not someone who tries to judge people's decisions. So I'm, and I'm obviously failing in that right now, but Malachi Corley, I thought was going to impress a lot of people. But he ended up doing nothing. I don't even think he got measured. Now he has senior bowl measurements. And I so I just don't I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, maybe he is hurt and all of what I just said is completely wrong. But Malachi Corley, just if he is just choosing to not participate or if he did choose to not participate, that's one of the weirdest did not participates for me. Just just because of the fact that he plays in Conference USA. These small school guys are usually the guys that the combine is the most important for. Like leading us into Xavier Worthy, who was my wide receiver 11. Oh, and uh, I don't know if I said it officially, but Malachi Corley was my wide receiver 10, down to my wide receiver 12. Uh, Mal uh, Xavier Worthy was my wide receiver 11, up to my wide receiver 10. And the reason I haven't moved him that much is because Look, did I think he was going to run a 4-2-1? No, I wouldn't have said, I think Xavier Worthy is going to break a record. But I think there are a lot of dangers in double counting. When a guy who you have ranked very highly for being fast runs very fast, you don't move him up. That's, that's just my opinion. If I think a guy is going to run in the low 4-3s, maybe even under 4-3, and he runs 4-2-1, I'm going to move him up a little. I did move him up a little. I'm not going to move him up a lot because then I'm double counting. I've already given Xavier Worthy a ton of credit for being fast. I've given Xavier Worthy about as much credit, and now I've given him as much credit as I can for being fast. I've seen some people move him up a lot higher. Here's my thing. If you all, there's a lot, Xavier Worthy is very controversial. If you've always loved Xavier Worthy, I have absolutely no problem putting Xavier Worthy as high as wide receiver four. I think there's a lot of wild west in the rankings outside of the top three. So I have no problem with that. But if you're someone like me, who wasn't very high on Xavier Worthy, you should not be moving Xavier Worthy up. A good analyst should not be moving Xavier Worthy up significantly from a lower ranking to a higher ranking. If you want to move him up slightly, if you believed him before, all those things are fine. But if you didn't believe in him before, you shouldn't move him up a ton for the thing we knew he could do. We knew he was going to do a good 40. We knew that already. And he, he jumped very, very well too. And I don't want to just set that aside. But the, the other thing I wanted to point out with Xavier Worthy, because it was something that bothered me early in the day, is that, and I talked about this with Xavier, uh, with Troy Franklin as well, but aside from the 5'11 and a quarter, 165 pounds, that being obviously a 
huge red flag in the BMI department. Xavier Worthy also had eight and three quarters inch hands. Now, eight and three quarters inch hands are not a death sentence by any means. But again, not to continue to use the same words over and over and over and over. But what we look for in the combine is corroboration. Xavier Worthy is a guy who I do not believe is good at the point of attack. I don't believe he's great at catching the ball. I don't think he's as bad with outright drops as some people make it out to be sometimes, but I don't think he's good at the point of attack. And I think he's very, very bad through any kind of contact and making the harder catches. And so when you combine that with smaller hands, which is an issue or teams believe that it can become an issue for a wide receiver with drops, that actually is a little bit of an extra concern. So he, he got a little bit of an extra concern in his profile. He got a small concern in his profile. He got a small improvement because he ran a 4-2-1 and not like a 4-3-1. But at the end of the day, I'm not changing how I feel about Xavier Worthy because none of the things I'm worried about changed. The thing I knew he'd be good at stayed the same and that's it. So Xavier Worthy did move up for me and he was my wide receiver eight at one point this offseason too. So he's still in that eight, nine, 10 range, but I don't like him more than Polk and Wilson right now. And I certainly don't have him in the top seven range. I still don't have him anywhere close to that. Could I see him getting back up to wide receiver eight? Certainly, but I really don't see him getting over wide receiver eight pre-draft. I, I don't really know if he's getting over wide receiver 10, but he's absolutely, in, at least in my estimation right now, not getting to wide receiver eight or over wide receiver eight, because I just don't see him as being fairly close to the caliber of prospects as Coleman, Franklin, uh, Thomas Jr. and Mitchell. And if I'm wrong on one of those, maybe, you know, maybe it is like a Franklin and maybe, maybe it should be worthy and not Franklin, especially with Franklin running a four, four, one and worthy running a four, two, one. But if that's the case, that's probably going to be more so moving Franklin down than worthy up. I don't think Worthy's going to get to the grade that I've been having those four players at. So I guess that's really what it gets at. So Worthy moving up from wide receiver 11 to wide receiver 10. And then Malik Washington was my wide receiver 12, is moving down to my wide receiver 13. But generally speaking, I thought he had a fairly good combine. Now, 447 official, you don't want to see that necessarily with his height. But he also isn't Tank Dell small, like he's 191 pounds. So it's not like he is running, you know, it's not like he's 160 pounds running the 447. He's at 191 pounds. He's got a very nice BMI. And then at that BMI, he had an insane vertical jump. He had the best vertical jump at the combine. And 30 and 3 eighths inch arms are actually decent size arms. I mean, for a small receiver, but for a 5'8 guy, that's that's a pretty decent percentile. He got a better percent, percentile from the combine, which is the one I use officially, than the one he got at the Shrine Bowl. So I feel good about, I basically feel good about everything with Washington. Why did he move down? Because I finally relented a little bit more with Lad McConkey. Now, I didn't relent much with Lad McConkey because I've moved him from wide receiver 13 to wide receiver 11, and we'll talk about a few of those things. But, you know, Lad McConkey and Xavier Worthy are kind of similar conversations to me. Now, Lad McConkey is a little bit different because I did think he was going to run. I thought he was fast, but I thought he was more of a 444 than 439, and about a half tenth off there. But he didn't disprove any of my problems. Now, he didn't really have much of an opportunity. That's not really how the, the combine's set up to deal with a lot of physical play. And it is fair to say that physical play is harder and harder to have at the NFL level. But the 5 and 11 and 5 eights, you read that. I think a lot of people read height. And then if the height's good, they're just, they move on. 
5'11", 5 eighths, good. But don't move on because 186 pounds is bad. 30 and a quarter inch arms is close to red arm, uh, close to red flag. Uh, they got an eighth of an inch bigger since the senior bowl, or at least how they were measured. But 30 and a quarter, still low, still basically it is at the upper end of the red flag range, as weird as that is to say as a sentence. But it's still an issue for me. It's still an issue for a guy playing outside. And then he had eight and five eighths inch hands. He had smaller hands than Troy Franklin and Xavier Worthy, who I was already worried when those measurements came out earlier in the day about those hand size. Now, there are players with those hands that have worked out, but I literally found about a half dozen in the last, you know, however long in this database I was looking for. Marquise Goodwin, Tyler Lockett, uh, Torrey Smith, T.Y. Hilton, Will Fuller, Hunter Renfro. So, you know, I'm not saying that it's a debilitating thing, but it is something that almost no one has at the NFL level. Put it this way, out of 100 successful wide receivers, there's probably going to be 98 to 99 of them that have bigger hands than Lad McConkey. And again, in a corroborating way, when my worry about Lad McConkey is physical play dynamics, if he's not getting a ton of separation, that could hurt his ability to make contested catches because it is a positive in his profile that he gets so much separation, but because of the role and, and how limited his amount of targets were in Georgia and how he was thrown when he you know got that separation, we really don't have a ton of a recorded history of him having contested catch opportunities. Now, maybe that's just going to be his career. Maybe he can be so, so clean at everything he does and every route he runs. But my biggest problem with Lad McConkey has nothing to do with how fast he is. It has nothing to do with how well he separates on air or runs routes on air or has repeatable footwork. I think the repeatable footwork is the thing that I'm constantly asking myself if I'm underrating because it is so repeatable and it's so good that he does it that way. You know, I'm having a conversation you know, on a social media platform, but I'm having a conversation with a guy the other day and he says, well, if Lad McConkey, if Georgia has all these guys and when it matters the most, they rely on Lad McConkey. What does that say? And I said, when, when did that happen? Because we say things like that because we think about who Lad McConkey is. He's this guy who won an award for being a great community member and an acad- and student athlete. And so we think that's the guy he is because that's the archetype we always see. In the two closest games that George has played in the last two years, Lad McConkey did not do anything. In the semifinal game against Ohio State, they won by one point. Lad McConkey had two receptions for negative one yards. In the game against Alabama this year that they lost, that they needed to win to make the playoff, Lad McConkey had 30-something yards. So when you take those two, and I'm not really trying to nitpick the games. I didn't pick them because Lad McConkey was bad at them. I picked them because they had the two highest leverage games, and Georgia has played in like five games in the last two years that have been in single digits. And so he plays in these two games, and his quarterbacks in these two games have over 600 total passing yards. He has like 40 receiving yards. Maybe he had 40 in the Alabama game. I'm going off my head right now. But the point is, the number I got to was 5%. A little over 5%. He had a little over 5% of his team's receiving yards in the Ohio State and Alabama games. And it's just like, no, that's not what happens. He isn't used 
more often in high leverage situations. That literally does not exist anywhere in the data. You cannot find that in the data. Now, maybe he's using third downs, but like, who cares? You're, you're playing a game that you're eventually going to lose by 20 or win by 28 points. So it's just the fact of the matter. And then someone will say like, well, he, he was a little banged up in those games. He's he's a little banged up a lot through two years. Is he not going to be a little banged up at the NFL level? So between the little banged up being something that doesn't actually make me feel better about Lad McConkey at all, and the fact that the a lot of the things in his size give me a little bit of worry with physical play, I am worried that I'm overrating these things because his his footwork's so repeatable, and his consistency's there, and it's harder to be physical without getting a flag at the NFL level. It's consistently becoming harder to be physical on the defense and not get a flag. But I still see Ladd McConkey as more of a green and red profile. Same with Xavier Worthy. And I don't really like green and red profiles because I don't really like to have a lot of red in my profiles. And Ladd McConkey's got a lot of red. So Ladd McConkey is the player, even more so than Xavier Worthy. Ladd McConkey is the player I am the most worried about being wrong on. And for that reason, and when I say things like that, I typically want to move that player up. And I do, I, and I'm not saying that in contrast with Ladd McConkey. I mean, that is what I'm doing. I'm considering how highly I need to move him up because I am worried about being the most wrong about him. But at the end of the day, the things that bother me with Ladd McConkey are almost certainly going to continue to bother me and they're going to put him at a place, same with Xavier Worthy, where pragmatically it really doesn't matter where I rank these guys because I'm not getting these guys. Someone else is going to get these guys. And that's just going to be the way it, the way it's going to go this year. And I hope for my analysis that I'm right. I hope for their careers that I'm wrong. And that's just how it goes. So I'm going to recap the wide receiver position as I see it right now. Top three, very clean, very clear. Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze, four through seven. Clear on who's in that room. Not very clear at all at which order they're sitting in. But Keon Coleman, Troy Franklin, Brian Thomas Jr., A.D. Mitchell, and then my next two up are Roman Wilson and Jalen Polk at the 8-9. I then have the most controversial rankings and players that are getting moved up a lot. The very fast 40 but small-handed Xavier Worthy and Lad McConkey. And then I have Malachi Corley and Malik Washington rounding out my top 13. There are a number of other players that do need to be discussed at the wide receiver position because this one is such a deep position. Uh, Tez Walker weighed in under 200 pounds again, but did run a very fast 40 in the four threes. Uh, Xavier Leggett also tested very, very, very well. These are two players who, if I scored a little bit more based on athleticism alone, they would score a lot more highly for me. I care about athleticism, but it usually does not form the basis of of a profile. And to me, you need it to form the basis of the profile to make Tez and Leggett into the same caliber of players as these other guys. And if they were all around, it would be one thing, but Tez, I'm really worried about how one note and linear he can be at times. And Xavier Leggett is just still, he's just not a good enough receiver. Like he, he does some things as a ball carrier that you're really intrigued by with his explosive running, but he's just not, a good enough receiver. So uh, that that takes care of those two. Uh, oh, can we get can we pay somebody to make Johnny Wilson 
choose to be a tight end? Like, can we get like a GoFundMe that'll like convince him that we can pay him the difference in salary between wide receiver and tight end? There's no way we can afford that. Uh, because I understand why you want to be a wide receiver because of how much more money they get paid. But like, dude, you're six foot six and 230. There's, there's not wide receivers like that in the game anymore. I don't care that he ran a four five three. I really want this guy to play tight end because for one, I just don't know if he's the kind of guy who there's just so many inconsistency problems with the hands, uh, with all kinds of, you know, just small things with Johnny Wilson that I'm, I'm not sure that he's a player that's going to be able to be consistent enough, but that doesn't matter if you're playing tight end because of how, much more individually important all the individual receptions are. So that's just kind of why I say that about him playing tight end. But for all the people who lie about their measurements, Johnny Wilson's measurements were legit six over six foot six, over 35 inch arms. That's one of the biggest arms measurement. That might be the biggest arms measurement I've ever personally seen since I really started evaluating wide receivers. Now I've seen longer ones, you know, looking at other positions, but strictly speaking about the position, the, about the wide receiver and running back positions that I focus on the most, those might be the longest arms I've seen in the last couple of years. So Johnny Wilson, completely, completely legit size, maybe moving up a little bit, my board. I don't know if he's really moving up. And again, outside of the top 13, I really don't care too much, but you know, Johnny Wilson very much could be kind of near uh, Tez and Leggett. And then just another uh, just another really good day for the consensus around Ricky Pearsall. I'm still not changing my tune too much about Ricky Pearsall. Ricky Pearsall is like, okay, the, the production is better than Lad McConkey in terms of like a peak season, but it's it's harder because it's it's a lot of the same things with Lad McConkey. Only it's a guy who's going to turn 24 before the season starts. Like Lad McConkey is a senior, but he's not an old senior. He's basically an averaged aged true senior which is in pretty much an averaged aged player coming out, especially if you're, you know, putting as many player names on the board as I am in terms of, you know, just how, how big I try to make my age database 24 before your season starts at a non quarterback position in particular is ancient. And again, I have Ray Davis fairly high, but I feel justified in all the reasons with Ray Davis. And I believe his peak seasons are a plus. I think Ricky Pearsall's peak season is like C plus. So, you know, that's a pretty substantial difference there. And I don't believe he has as many direct excuses and he doesn't play, or he does play rather in a position where those analytics are even more important. So Ricky Pearsall, not top 13, same thing I was saying for the other guys, but objectively, I do want, like I always say, I want you to have the best information, regardless of what my opinions are. I want you to have the best information. And so even though I don't have Ricky Pearsall at a grade where I'm very likely to draft him, it is worth noting that people smarter than me are consistently talking about Ricky Pearsall and saying that he's doing some really good things at these events. So those are just the last few notes I had for the wide receiver position. And then finally, the last position we need to talk about the tight end position. Now, there's not going to be a lot here. I didn't really rank tight ends before the combine, so I don't really have strong rankings to base anything off of. But Brock Bowers, the biggest thing to talk about was going to be what he measured in at six foot three and an eighth, 243 pounds. Now, he didn't run at the 243. So to me, it's kind of like the, the Xavier Worthy thing, just from kind of the opposite perspective. If you were worried about Brock Bowers' size, you probably shouldn't stop be, being worried about it. But if you weren't like, I'm not worried about it personally. I'm not particularly worried about his size. So it doesn't bother me, but the 243 
is probably an inflated number. It's just like, if he's not running, if he's not performing, if he's not doing anything and he has to get on a scale, the 243 probably is a fundamentally inflated number. Uh, Jatavion Sanders was my tight end two, still my tight end two, six foot three, seven eighths, 245 pounds, 32 and seven eighths inch arms. It is important to frame things correctly with Jatavion Sanders in the sense that he did very much underperform what my expectations were for him and what a lot of people's expectations were for him. But it's not that he, he didn't actually do bad. I think there's something that weird happens that's I not trying to get too psychological, but I do think there's something almost weird that happens psychological because we see like 80, 90% of the times we see her for wide receiver and running back. And so we see wide receiver running back times over and over and over and over again. And then we forget how much worse a guy who's 240 should run. Now, to be clear, again, he did underperform, but he underperformed by like there between like 463 to 469. Like some sometimes it feels like people look at the 469 and they like really freak out every time like a tight end like runs like a high 46s, low 47s. It's like, man, no, like Dalton Kincaid was a first round pick last year and he chose not to run probably because he's a 47 guy. Michael Meyer was over a 47 guy. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's what these guys do. High four or yeah, high four sixes, low four sevens. Like that is what the tight end position does. Now, obviously there's exceptions to the rule. There's major exceptions to the rule. And sometimes those are some of the guys you want to target, but as much as I would have liked to see Jutavion Sanders test a little bit better, it doesn't really concern me at all that he's in the four, six, nine range. I also haven't really tried to get too much into the blocks or not, he looked a little awkward in the blocks to me, but I, the, the reason I don't like to get into that is because that is not my specialty and anything that's not my specialty or something that I've spent a lot of time on, because even things like watching film, you know, I've spent a lot of time listening to other people over the course of the last few years. And before I really even started getting into it, into it, you know, kind of explain what to look for. And, and I've seen things and corroborated them with what other people have seen and things like that. When it comes to strict, really technical uh, techniques for things like the 40 yard dash. I don't like to get too into it because of how, you know, when you're subjective about something, you can then become biased about something. But the point being subjectively, I did think he got out of the box pretty badly. So Benson, it, uh, I didn't actually have him officially ranked as my tight end three, but he would have been my tight end three coming into the combine. And he is my tight end three. Now I, I believe I talked about five tight ends in the first show, which were Bowers, Sanders, Senate, Theo Johnson, and uh, and Jaheim Bell. And outside of those guys, I think there's only really one more guy I need to touch on this list. But anyway, Senate, uh, S-I-N-N-O-T-T. I always feel like I have to pronounce or spell that one because it sounds like Senate. Uh, but decent size, also in the high four sixes. You know, the real thing that you're looking for, and this is the contrast when we get into Theo Johnson, right? Everyone is excited about Theo Johnson's relative athletic score, the heat, and he, he was getting a lot of heat before the combine, right? This is this year's Luke Musgrave, which is just my way of saying, like, it was a name that I started hearing really late. And I usually don't hear names late because I'm usually really, really dialed in to college football. But when I started hearing it, it was like, oh, oh, this guy's going like early day two. Like people talk about this guy like kind of in a different way. So like Theo Johnson went from a guy who I had paid virtually zero attention to in Penn State to like within two weeks after the season, like, like, oh, people are people are talking about this guy. Like people are talking about this guy a lot. But the key difference between him and even a Luke Musgrave for a low producing tight end 
is that Luke Musgrave played two really good games his final year and then got hurt. As much as tight end is this project project position and this position where people grow into it a lot, most of your very good tight ends were the number one pass catching option or near the number one pass catching option for their college teams, right? Sam Laporta, number one option for Iowa. Trey McBride, number one option for Colorado State. Michael Meyer, Dalton Kincaid, both the number one options for their team drafted last year. I'm not sure if Travis Kelsey was the number one option for the Cincinnati team, but he had 700 yards. Same with Mark Andrews having 900 yards. Same with TJ Hawkinson having 700 yards. You know, these are all guys who had significant pass catching roles as major pass catchers on their teams. Theo Johnson has been healthy for four seasons. He has played in 44 career games. He does not have 1,000 receiving yards. He has never had a 100-yard game, and he has five or six 50-yard games in his career, including one against the University of Massachusetts, which is the worst or one of the two worst, probably the worst team in the entire FBS. So, I can see Theo. I think you're going to see a lot of contrast between NFL rankings and fantasy rankings. And sometimes there's people who aren't, you know, they're not really picking up on that. So I think you're going to see a couple fantasy rankings that are going to start putting Theo Johnson up at like tight end two because of his RAS and because of his relative athletic score. And I am just not going to come close to that with how poor his receiving is. Now, I understand it's all projection. You can say that you think he's going to do a lot better. But like I just outlined, so many of these guys who are good at the NFL level for fantasy were the 1A or 1B on their team. In this list, Brock Bowers, number one for his team. Sanders, not necessarily the number one, but probably the 1B because I do believe he outproduced A.D. Mitchell. And either way, he's a top one of the top pass catching options with a high volume role. And then Ben Sennett, I do believe was the number one for Kansas state consistently, or at least the most common dump off foul for that offense. Right? So these are all guys who could arguably be the most important receiver on their team. Brock Bowers isn't arguable. He is the most important receiver on his team, but Theo Johnson has never been a relevant wide receiver for or a receiver for his team. He is, he just, he just hasn't. I mean, obviously there's probably been a couple plays where it's been relevant, but in the way that we usually look at statistics and their meaning and production and its meaning, Theo Johnson has just overwhelmingly been underproductive, right? So the other two guys I have here, Jaheim Bell, Cade Stover, uh, Jaheim Bell, the hybrid profile is what kind of worries you a little bit. 33 inch arms, but only six foot two was used as a running back in South Carolina before he transferred to Florida state or at least out of the backfield. So the hybrid profiles are always kind of hard to project to the next level. And Cade Stover is the one tight end that I did not bring up in the first show that I am trying to reevaluate a little bit. Had a great speed composite. It was a name that uh, I was you know, hearing a lot of positive things in going into the college football season in 2023. And I, I do believe he had some kind of injury problems there too. So uh, not a whole lot on Cade Stover. Had a, had a solid combine that's uh, causing me to reevaluate. So where am I valuing the tight ends? One with significant value two as priority late round flyers with Sanders and Senate and everybody outside of that is probably a waiver wire pick to me in a standard super flex league. So that is all I have for the 2024 NFL scouting combine. Before I get to the end of the show, after I've you know taken a sleep, so that was Saturday night, we're going into Sunday morning now, I do have a few more thoughts that I've 
had some time to recollect some thoughts that I'll go into after this. But while I have you for a second, I would like to encourage anybody who's listening to this, whether you're listening to it for the first time, whether you're, whether you have been listening to it and you just haven't left any kind of review yet, I do understand. I appreciate you just for listening. But if you could leave a five star review or any review at all, you know, if you don't think it's five star, if you can especially tell me why in the review, that would mean a lot on either Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, whatever app you use, it would mean a lot to me because it would help other people find the show. And ultimately, that's one thing that I do really want out of this is for other people to find it because I enjoy doing it and I enjoy you know having people consume this content. And so that's something that can be done for this podcast for free. So thank you very much for your time and I'll get on to my Sunday morning takes. So just a few notes that I wanted to revise before we get through with the show today. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. is a quarterback that I might have touched on more detail just because there does seem to be uh, a little bit of smoke coming out about Michael Penix Jr. If this was a show, I'm trying to release it on Sunday just to get my most you know, raw, true thoughts out there. But if this was a show that I was waiting to do on Monday or Tuesday, I'd probably have a more full thought on Michael Penix Jr. Right now, it's just worth noting that there are people who said he had a, a really good performance, though I have seen mixed things too. Uh, Bucky Irving, just small note, I accidentally said 4.52. He actually ran a 4.55, which is worse. I, I said 4.52 because I accidentally wrote that somewhere. Uh, and I knew it was wrong when I wrote it, but I didn't delete it right away so I saw it like five times and now it's seared into my brain uh, but it doesn't really matter the fact that it's over four or five anything outside of that is kind of irrelevant uh, Isaac Garendo I was very negative on him and so you know with all this time to reflect I really thought to myself I need to make sure that I don't need to like recut that segment because while I you know while I watched him I didn't take as deep of a dive into him. You know, I just watched him and on spec, I didn't like a lot of things. And so I decided, you know, watch a couple more full games. And I came, there was, there was something, there was a couple things that impressed me a little bit more than I thought, but there was something that was bothering me and it kept bothering me. And I couldn't put my finger on it for some reason right away. And, you know, I was just watching these games. I wasn't really, I wasn't taking notes or anything. I was just trying to figure out what I thought of the player. And then it finally hit me. I went, I haven't seen him cut. I have not seen him cut once. He doesn't cut he never ever ever stops and moves laterally ever he doesn't do it he moves forward that's what he does and to an extent that sounds like a good thing but you got to be able to sort the trash you got to be able to get through the line of scrimmage and a lot of that has to do with uh, moving laterally so whether you agree with me whether you don't agree with me here's what i would recommend find louisville offensive tape from 2023 not Garendo tape because what you want to watch is you want to watch Jawar Jordan and Isaac Garendo back to back in the same offense because you can see why Jordan is so much more effective and that is because Jordan can move laterally Garendo cannot he did not test the ability to move laterally in any way he jumped twice he jumped in a vertical fashion and in a broad fashion you know forward fashion whatever you want to call it and then he ran a 40 yard dash those are the three things he did at the combine he did nothing that proved the ability to cut and you know what's interesting is usually a lot of what comes out of the ability to cut is your ability to burst and obviously Garendo has that in spades I think he had I, I don't think he can stop I think that's his problem. He can't stop on the dime. His feet don't come with him in the same way that a lot of really good, technical, good running backs do. So his feet don't stay under him. He's not able to cut. He do- just doesn't cut. So he will move. So he has the ability to, when he gets the ball initially, he can change his direction, obviously, based on all kinds of angles and what's he- what he sees in his vision. But once he has committed two-way way forward, he can turn a little bit left to right. He can boat turn, but he cannot cut and so a, a running back that cannot cut is a, not a running back I'm taking in the top 10 15 picks 
or top 10, 15 running backs, particularly one who, again, doesn't have anything in the profile outside of those three measurements that would make you intrigued because the one production thing that I have found more and more to be important over time when someone doesn't have good production at the running back position is to really contextualize them with what's happening around them. Do they have the most yards on their team? Do they have the most yards on their team by a lot? What's the relative yards per carry of other backs on their team? Guerrero is terrible at this because he rode the pine for four years at Wisconsin and then at Louisville was the backup. So I've covered all those things, but basically I went deeper into Guerrero after I did that segment and I came away more confident in it. So Troy Franklin was back and forth between the wide receiver five and wide receiver seven. I do think he's, I'm going to put him at wide receiver seven right now. And I think the only reason I'm, I'm hesitating on that is because of what I said in the very last show. And I, I, I do hate to do that. I do hate to go back and forth, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to give the best possible information that I think right now. What do I think right now today, Sunday morning? I think I need to put A.D. Mitchell and Brian Thomas Jr. alongside Keon Coleman as three wide receivers who are above Troy Franklin. And then one last quick note on Xavier Worthy. I know these are players I talked about a lot, but I I just want to point out or just say that I think the most fascinating thing about the Combine is the Combine is this ultimate test between what we say and what we do. Because we spend 11 and a half months out of the year saying, we can't adjust a guy if he does this. We can't adjust a guy if he does that. We can't adjust a guy if he does that. And then Xavier Worthy runs a 4-2-1, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, that guy has to be the wide receiver 4. It's like, what? Do you, what? We spent 11 and a half months saying we weren't going to do this, and then we saw him do it, and we were like, we just got so giddy about the fact that he ran fast, and now so many people, so many more people are putting him at wide receiver 4. I have no problem if you put Xavier Worthy at wide receiver 4, because wide receivers are hard to project, and I think that there's a lot of positives there. But if you're putting him at wide receiver 4 because of the 40, because of the combine, that is absolutely nonsensical wild to me. I do not understand that personally. So that's just all I have. That's all I have for the combine. I don't know if I'm going to have a second show this week. I will probably have a second show this week, especially with this one coming out on Sunday, but I really don't have any uh, specific plans for it. I've had some some wide receiver comps that I've had written up for a while that I've kind of had as a break glass in case of I don't want to come up with a show idea. Uh, so I might end up doing that with some wide receiver comps, specifically guys outside the top three. I don't want to make comps with the top three. I don't think I need to make comps with the top three. They're elite profiles. But I really want to make comps with people outside the top three, which I think will be uh, very interesting. And especially now that we have the official size measurements, it makes some of those, some comparisons more easy. But that's all I have for this episode of Fantasy For Real, and I will see you next time.